This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is The Goat Returns, sports business podcast, The Sportacast. All right, so if we were doing central casting here, Evan, like in this little theater, this play we're talking about, can I be Brady and you be Mac Jones? Fine. Yeah. That's you're, right. you're good. Age-wise, hey, I mean, roughly lines up. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, my God, it really is amazing. And I know this is like on the field stuff and we never do that. But I mean, he's what, 44 years old, 44, 45, whatever he is. It's unbelievable. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a historic and uh, it, it just, I, I am obviously a, a bit younger than, than that, but the way my body feels when I wake up, <laughs> I cannot imagine. Yeah, uh, you can imagine the, mine. The, yeah, because I'm ready in this scenario, right? Difficult. Yeah. His job is physically and how he continues to perform at such a high level. It is, uh, it is remarkable. He's TB12. I guess I go back to my ice hockey days. You know, I could be SS5. You know, that would be my brand, SS5. My Rod Langway like stay at home defenseman. Uh, skills. That's all I got for you. Yeah. And it's become to, to kind of shift it towards the business side. It's become such a huge part of his brand, right? His longevity. It's not just that he is a great football player. There's tons of great football players that do not have kind of the, the public image that he does and, and the kind of off-field marketability that he does. But he has a lifestyle company at a time when he is defying uh, the, he, the kind of rules yes. of aging. And that is he tremendously his, lucrative for him. He and his aging process are the best advertisement the Tom Brady brand could ever have. That's it. It's like, use this potion, drink this stuff, and you'll you know do what I do. Exactly. It's absolutely amazing. But the NFL has got to be Gaga and the networks as well. NBC had Sunday Night Football. The prospect of having Tom Brady going back to New England now, just for fun. I love the, the NFL and its, and its proactive genius understood that people would probably wonder where this game ranked. So they sent out sort of the the highest uh, rated and, and top five games of all time, right? So I'm just going to stick to Sunday because if you if you do the top five of all time, one is a Monday night game and then you've got all Thanksgiving Day games. So that's a little unfair if you're doing holiday. So just Sunday games. Of course, and how many we've got? One, three of the five involve New England. Number one, New England, Indianapolis, 2007. 33.8 million, and then you got mm. 32.1, 30.9, 30.5, 30.3. The question is, does the game crack the top five at 30.3 million people? 
so we're recording this on Monday before. Yeah, we do. This is our guest. We're recording Mondays. The, the experts, uh, which I am not, but the experts I seem to be reading said that they thought kind of high 20s was going to be the logical result here. It certainly helped that the game was close until uh, until the moment the final whistle hit. Uh, as you know, oftentimes uh, games that are blowouts, you, you lose and, and ratings are an average. Uh, so I think, you know, high 20s, maybe even above 30 seems like it's it's kind of where this is going to be. So, so very close to cracking the top five. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, but to your broader point, Scott, I mean, what what a what a start for the NFL season! It feels like every primetime game, both that Sunday night slot and the Monday night game, have been both compelling matchups and or uh, extremely close down to the wire competitions, uh, and and that's why we're seeing such a strong early season performance from the NFL right now from a TV standpoint. Even sort of the the NFL Network game does well, and that's you know every team has to get national TV, so you get your weaker teams out of the way on some of the lesser demand. And I'm sorry to say, I think your Jacksonville Jaguars fall into that category, uh, you know. But <laughs> well, but let, let's let's talk about the Jag. I mean, the Jaguars Bengals were on Thursday night, right? It had uh, eight and a half million good number, to- yeah. Total viewership. It was the the most watched NFL Network exclusive Thursday night game in in, in four years, I believe, since 2018. Uh, so so really impressive numbers, even there from from two teams that are uh, not necessarily the, the biggest media draws that the league has to offer. If I'm putting it kindly. Well, let me ask you then: What effect does the sports gambling and sports betting have on that? In that, even if I know the outcome, it's forty point whatever. These betters still have reason to stick around. There's overs, there's unders, there's in-game, you know, in-game play. There's reason, and again, the engagement word, which you know I think is overused all the time. But you, are you getting the sense that viewers are more engaged in the NFL because they have money riding on the outcome of who knows how many bets? This is something that that we could look like, and we should talk to Anthony Krupe, our media expert, about this. I mean, there's not, we're still not even at a point. I don't think we're at 33 percent of the U.S. population living in states right now where there is legal online gaming. There's certainly none in the in the major states like New York, like Florida, like Texas, like California. Uh, I'm I'm still, I guess, maybe a little uh, skeptical, at least right now, given where each state is right now, that this is having a massive impact on gambling or on TV ratings. But I could be I could be wrong about that. I think the way to tell that story succinctly is to kind of look at where all these states were from an NFL viewership standpoint back in 2018. Look where the gains or, or losses have been relative to this year, and see if if those states that have legal online gaming really pop uh, from, from from that standpoint. So I don't know the exact answer for that. Uh, it is certainly helping the uh, TV networks in other ways, Scott, particularly on the advertising side. If it is not driving uh, eyeballs, it is yeah. driving uh, sales of advertisers, particularly for Fox, for NBC, and for CBS. So it has definitely been a positive in the NFL media TV ecosystem. I'm just not sure if ratings is the best place to kind of quantify that benefit. All right, so I won't go to Mulvihill Hill at Fox or Florida ESPN, but we'll give them a shout out. You know, we'll get to them at some point to give us some really interesting numbers. Here's a number for you. Ready? Ninety-five percent. You know where I'm headed on the segue? I do know where you're heading on the segue. Yeah. All right. NBA players vaxxed at a ninety-five percent clip. However, Kyrie Irving is one of the players who is not, uh, and he plays in a state in New York where there is a mandate that you must or else he can't go into Barkley Center and play basketball. That's obviously 41 games of the regular season. He is also 
a vice president of the NBPA. So he's on the executive committee of the entity that negotiates the rules uh, with the NBA. And of course, the law would trump anything that's negotiated uh, between the NBPA and the NBA. Anyway, but you do have a bit of a stare down right now between one of the league's premier players on a on a high-profile team owned by Joe Tsai, who really, 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 trust me, wants to win a championship. Uh, Mike McCann wrote, wrote something for us on this. Uh, you, you have a stare down right now where some players are just not willing to get vaccinated, and they may have to sit out the games in those entities, whether it's San Francisco, New York. It's been fascinating to see, Scott, how the U.S. leagues that have come back towards playing in the past few months, I'm including the NFL in that, how they've kind of taken different approaches uh, to the vaccine thing. The NFL, I think, was, and they probably have have the leverage to do this more than anyone else, they were probably the most uh, active, the most forceful in, in trying to do various things to make sure players got vaccinated. Uh, a lot of the unions, the NBPA, NFLPA, NHLPA, they're all kind of against the idea of vaccine mandates. I understand kind of where they're coming. They have to look out for the, for the interests of all their players uh, to a degree there. Um, but you, you see kind of various ways in which leagues are able to kind of pull different levers to try to make sure that they get a highest number as possible of athletes vaccinated. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the, 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 the local government uh, restrictions add a whole nother layer here. They trump whatever the employment agreement is between the NBA and MBPA. Uh, the San Francisco Department of Health is another one uh, where they were requiring all of the Warriors to be vaccinated if they wanted to play in their uh, in the Chase Center in their new in new arena. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, who was another one of these maybe most most vocal. NBA players against getting the vaccine ended up getting at least his first shot over the weekend, Scott, largely because of, I think he realized he was kind of out of options in terms of what it was going to look like to, to play this season unvaccinated if he wanted to play in home games. Uh, so in some ways you're, you're Well, he seeing, was going for the religious exemption, right? Which he Andrew Wiggins get, was which, going for the religious exemption. The NBA him. turned him down, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, in, in some ways you're kind of seeing the, the I'm going to use mandate here. It's not a mandate, but you're seeing some of these restrictions working to a degree in that they're, they're, they're getting some NBA players vaccinated. But it's going to be fascinating to see, especially for Irving, as you said, he's a, he's a high-ranking member of the MBPA. He is one of the more outspoken athletes um, in, in basketball. I imagine there are tons of people in and around the league that vehemently disagree with the stance, the red line that he is drawing in the sand right now. I'm sure there are some and a much smaller number uh, that think what he's doing is kind of admirable, sticking up for himself and his personal decisions. Um, but the NBA has already required staff to get vaccinated. They have an agreement with the referees. They're all vaccinated as well. Um, and and 95% of players heading into the new season um, may seem like a good number, but I'm sure there are people at the league that want that to be 100. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Knicks are at 100. And I remember Michelle Roberts not long ago, and she's she's on her way out at the NBPA, soon to be replaced. Um, but she was like, wait, what? Let, we should flip this around. Like, we should be a beacon. Like, we're at 95%. Like, people should strive to, you know, to get to 95. Uh, but it just goes to show you the high-profile nature of NBA players where someone like Kyrie Irving says, no, that's going to draw the majority of the attention. And you know what part interests me the most here, Evan? Hmm. The fact that the Sydney, the city orders, they don't apply to players on the other visiting teams. teams yeah. The visiting teams. I, I find that fascinating that if you're not a New York resident... So what if Kyrie like lived somewhere like where is his state of residency? I'm assuming it's New York. But if you're not, that it just doesn't apply to players on other teams. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. I think the New York one actually may 
include Knicks and, and Nets players that don't live in, in New York. I think they at okay. least, but, but you're right. I don't think it applies to visiting teams regardless of where they live. Um, and I'm sure there's some kind of legal jurisdictional uh, approach to, to why that is. I'm also interested, Scott, the NHL starts season starts kind of right around the same time uh, as the NBA's. I think maybe even a little earlier, just from a cultural standpoint, this is a conversation that I'm sure is happening at, around the NHL, just not in a way in the public discourse that, the NBA's is. And, and when the NBA started its media days a couple weeks ago, we were asking every player that appeared, are you vaccinated? Why are you vaccinated? Why are you not vaccinated? We, we seem to know very quickly the names of almost all of the, at least the bigger stars in the NBA that were not vaccinated. The NHL does not seem to be having at least publicly that same kind of conversation. European soccer, um, I, I don't know. It seems like the media is not asking at all about vaccine status, at least uh, for, for, from where I sit right now. It's, it's just interesting to me to see how different leagues and media around different leagues are approaching this topic and, and, and doing it differently. All right. Well, you know what league is getting the same media over and over and over? It's, it's almost like an, an Aussie media. You know, there's, mm. there's one topic and everybody is <laughs> discussing it. And by the way, kudos to Carlos on that media tour. Boy, you know, the Today Show, CNBC. Like he, I don't know if he's winning the day, but he's getting his narrative out there. I'll give him that. I don't, again, I don't know if he's we'll winning see. the day, but he is certainly doing his best to get his narrative out there. And I think the NWSL could use some assistance uh, right there that Lisa Baird has now resigned uh, as commissioner of the Women's Soccer League. Uh, Apparently, I've been just years of coaches abuse on some teams that was, uh, from what we understand, reported to the league and no action was taken. Uh, And that just doesn't fly right now. And you've got U.S. soccer appointing Sally Yates to, to uh, oversee an investigation into what went on and how abusive the coaches were and why didn't the NWSL take care of it and the teams and Wells or Merritt Paulson just just announced that he's with the Portland Thorns that they have hired somebody to review their own investigation. So an investigator for the investigation. Not, not a good look for the NWSL one and at a really, really bad time when women's empowerment is their central theme and they're really starting to push commercial sponsors on the viability of this league. Yeah, I mean, I'll take a quick stab for for people who are listening who have maybe seen NWSL headlines but aren't fully, you know, haven't caught up fully on what's happening. Um, in the past few weeks, two coaches, both men, have been fired. One, the coach of the North Carolina Courage, the other, the coach of the Washington Spirit, uh, for abusive behavior, sexual misconduct uh, around players. The union has called for the league to kind of end systemic abuse of its players. and And in the wake of all that, other players started speaking out on Twitter, you know, with their own experiences, as you said, talking about things that they had reported to the league that that did not go rectified. Megan Rapino, who I would argue probably has the biggest platform from a player standpoint in the league right now. Um, yeah, I was just going to say we're getting to a point now where some of these women's soccer players are global icons, influential stars, and their social followings alone demand that they be listened to. And you, you mentioned Megan. You had Alex Morgan. Yeah, the, these are folks who matter. For sure. And over the weekend, she tweeted, burn it all down. Uh, the league canceled the games for, for last weekend. As you said, Commissioner Lisa Barrett stepped down. There are investigations now from from the league, which hired an outside law firm, an investigation from U.S. Soccer. You mentioned Sally Yates, an investigation from FIFA um, that is poking around as well. Um, and yes, to your point earlier, 
just a tough time for this to happen for the NWSL. They have kind of turned a corner from a commercial partnership. There is a long history that we don't need to get into about women's professional soccer in the U.S. kind of struggling to, to build a sustainable business model. Uh, the NWSL was, was making a lot of steps in the right direction commercially. And now it makes you wonder how, how much of, you know, if, if, if protecting your players is obviously the maybe the most important core tenet uh, of any league, and it seems as though the NWSL to some degree uh, and its employees have failed that, um, beyond that, how much this begins to trickle down to a lot of the business metrics that we've seen ticking up uh, in, in a positive way for the league over the past few years. Yeah, how many investigations have we had? We have Donald Sterling, we have the Washington football team and Dan Snyder, we've got the NWSL, the countless ones that I'm leaving out and we haven't heard about. And you know darn well, by the way, with the Me Too movement, you know darn well, there probably isn't a professional sports team in the big four, five, six, whatever you want to say, that has not commissioned its own investigation preemptively. They wanted to know, are there any skeletons in the closet? We need to get ahead of it. We need to know. We need to make changes. It seems like a pretty lucrative uh, business now in the uh, business of sport is the investigator, right? I mean, mean, (laughs) almost everybody, every league is is touched by it. There's lawyers everywhere, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the new side thing. It'll be the new major in college, not just sports law, but sports investigator. I mean, I would argue that that in some ways, doing that preemptively is not a bad. It's not no, a bad it's a smart policy, move, right? but you have like, to do it. Yes, yeah, yeah move. I, think, I think I think that's right. One thing that stuck out to me that I read about NWSL that they started the season with only one female head coach. I do wonder if that they had a female commissioner. I, I do wonder if that is going to change uh, moving forward. One part of what Megan Rapino was tweeting over the weekend was about how this is all essentially men that are protecting men who abused women. Um, and that is not, they're obviously not the reputation you want if you're NWSL, but, but it seems like, again, the, in the wake of some of these other things we've seen, there's been kind of a rush to kind of do better at hiring women uh, into roles of power. I do wonder if that will continue to happen on the coaching side, specifically here in the NWSL after two male coaches in the span of just a few weeks were fired for their own abuses. Yeah, I wonder if it's, is it, uh, I, we, let's see if we get some stats. I don't know. Are, are, what is the gender breakdown? Like, is, the, is it more likely to be a, an abusive relationship if it's a male coach versus a female coach of female players? I don't, I don't know. Uh, would it be different if it was you know, a league full of female coaches? I don't know. I, 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 I don't know the answer. But at least diversity in the ranks for a women's league is probably a good thing. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, again, I, it's hard to to know because I don't I don't know if there are any. I mean, the WNBA has struggled with this for a while as well, right? I don't know if yeah. there are any great professional women's leagues that have a a plethora of of female coaches uh, to to even be able to, to to even start to answer that question. Um, but no question, yeah. I, I don't right. think Talk we've seen me. the end of the NWSL uh, saga at all. No, not at all. Talk to me about the MLB postseason. We're going to kick it off uh, with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Uh, that will be tonight. I'm trying to think. We we record on Monday, but it'll air on Tuesday. So tonight is the right way to say it. Uh, Fenway Park. That's a that's a great game for ESPN. Uh, you've got a lot of big teams that are going to be out early. Whether it's the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, you know these these are big brands that you can be sure MLB and its television partners would like to stick around for a while. Uh, nothing against the the uh, Astros and the White Sox and the Brewers, <laughs> but uh, Yankees, Red Sox, and Dodgers are teams you want to see stick around a while. Without question. So, so you're going to get a, a, a monster 
postseason rating number right off the bat with Yankees Red Sox. If the Dodgers can get out of the NL wildcard game, I believe they're playing the Giants. And that at least is, is about as good of a West Coast uh, baseball matchup uh, from well, a media I think they have and the Cardinals. A, I think it's a, Dodgers oh, Cardinals, is, right? is it not? Oh, okay. So I think, yeah, because the Giants won the division. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay. So, yeah, maybe if I'm wrong about that, then I apologize. Um, but yeah, there, there's some hundred and something wins each. There are ways you can see these matchups turning good depending on on who wins. Some things that I have been thinking about, one, just from a, honestly, from a business standpoint and a baseball standpoint, what the Rays have accomplished, uh, again, feels pretty darn impressive. I believe they have the best record in the league. Um, they have the fifth lowest payroll. Their three best starting pitchers from last year are not on the team right now, either because of trade, free agent signings, or injury. Uh, it does feel like the Rays kind of consistently are able to do this with a shoestring payroll compared to their other uh, other teams. And, 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 and someone who's kind of a, a, a sadly achieves the opposite. I was really interested to see what happened with the Padres this year, given that they are a mid to small market team that decided it wanted to spend up to kind of to, to play with the big boys in a way that we're seeing less and less of in Major League Baseball. Unfortunately, the Padres did not make the playoffs. That does make me kind of wonder if any other team who's thinking, you know what, maybe we make a run at this, make a big two or three or four free agent signings, really increase the payroll, but really try to make a shot at at, at kind of playing with the with the really rich incumbents like the Yankees and the and the Dodgers and the Red Sox, if there might be less teams inclined to do that. Uh, moving forward, and and to 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 put that into context, as you know, Scott, we are on the verge of what could be a very ugly labor fight between Major League Baseball and its players. This is going yeah. to be one of the major topics there, kind of the broken economic system in which it feels as though fewer and fewer teams are really trying to win the championship and, and, and maybe necessarily just relying on on revenue sharing and economics in other directions to to balance their budget or, or, or make money that way. Um, but it does make me, it made me a little sad that to see the Padres, after kind of breaking from what has become the norm in Major League Baseball, to not end up in the postseason at all. I could be the answer to some trivia question here, Eben. I mean, how many people would you say have been to Yankee Stadium and seen a player hit three home runs more than once? They've been to the new Yankee Stadium or any Yankee Stadium? Any Yankee Stadium. I 1977 Game <laughs> 6 was my first older? game ever. I, I was there. No, I was there when Reggie hit his three. And I was there on Saturday when Brandon Lau hit his three. And Very by the nice. way, not the bad Yankee fans, but I got to tell you, we, everybody there was in the section we were in was rooting for him to hit four or five. Like they just wanted him to, just, I mean, but when you're there down you by go. a trillion runs anyway, you, you just want to root for something. And I will tell you, by the way, uh, interactions with, we were kind of close. We had some good seats and we were, we were chatting with the Rays players. I mean, I guess you can, when you're up by like a hundred runs, it doesn't really matter. It's casual. And uh, we had some like Kevin Kiermaier, if that's how you say his name, you know, he he was interacting with the folks behind him in good-natured way. Everybody had some good laughs. Um, Brett Phillips signed my son's cast after the game. He was he was running around. My son was running around with the, like a, a marker asking people, like, you can't get your cast signed, broke his wrist in the middle of a game. It doesn't, but he was like, after, after. And, you know, I was like, I, I was willing to bet a hundred bucks. He was going to head for the tunnel. You know, that's it. He's gone. Nope. Went right to the side, signed the cast. So, good Good, good fun with the race. Uh, so, that's a good team, man. So from a, from a good uh, New York sports watching experience to a more difficult New York sports watching experience. Yeah, let's, well, with no uh, watching, you can't watch. <laughs> let's go to our last topic here uh, on the eve of the NHL and NBA seasons kicking off. Uh, a new carriage dispute right now 
uh, between Comcast and Madison Square Garden. Um, not the only carriage dispute happening right now across the country. Yeah, I, I was going to say, this is involved too, but you know. There's, not, there's going to be more of these as well. Um, but essentially, the, the, the fight comes down to affiliate fees. Comcast is saying that the amount of money that every Comcast subscriber, whether or not they watch a single Knicks game or Rangers game or not, the amount that they're paying monthly uh, is just too much to pass on. I wrote down some really cool stats. You ready? Ready. Because now I'm playing the role of Evan Novi Williams as Scott Sochnik. <laughs> this is what you usually do. But I came with stats. And this was really easy because you have networks and, and distributors when the cable companies, when they have these disputes, they always like to get their, you know, their side out. So this is from Comcast. So here's the stats Comcast says. Ready? They say almost 95% of customers who get MSG over the past year did not watch more than 10 of the approximately 240 possible games. That's mm. stat number one. Over the past year, 95% did not watch more than 10. Stat number two, 80% didn't watch any MSG content at all. Zippo, nada. So it goes back to the old debate of the whole system, Evan. Should people who don't want something have to pay for it in the cable bundle, or as we're starting to see, as, as see it on, on, um, unravel, you're going to see more and more of these systems hoping to push these sports networks and RSNs. That's a whole nother show we have to do with Krupi <laughs> yeah. on, on to pay tiers. You want sports, you pay for it. I'm not going to burden all of my customers who just simply don't watch this stuff. And to make it clear for, for folks who might be curious, the, the numbers we're talking about here from, from an affiliate fee, I believe right now, uh, all Comcast subscribers are paying for about four sixty five a month, whether they're watching MSG or not. That's going to go up and projected to go up to to almost five fifty five dollars and fifty cents a month, um, which is not nothing, Scott. You multiply that out, you know that's more than sixty dollars a year. This that was you're the paying great ESP. Yeah, Evan, this was the great not, ESPN advantage. Yeah, this is the dual revenue stream that made ESPN what it was. They could bid on anything. They were the powerhouse because they had the dual revenue stream. Like, let's take your over-the-air TVs, uh, NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC. They counted on advertising. That's how they made their money. Now, if you're ESPN and these cable channels, you had the dual stream. You had advertising, yes, but also what's called sub-fees, which is short for subscriber fees. X amount of per month, per subscriber, adding up to hundreds of millions of dollars. That was the big advantage. Only we're starting to see people flee. So, so who do you think will use Comcast and MSG right now as, as a proxy for this entire battle? Who has more power and leverage in these disputes now? There's no question that Comcast is going to be hearing from Rangers and Knicks fans when the season starts, yeah. complaining they can't watch. They're going to be hearing that more than from people who hate sports that are going to tell them, thank you so much for lowering my cable bill by $5 for those channels I didn't get. Uh, and, and MSG obviously is relying on those fans to be as vocal as possible. Has the leverage and the power in these negotiations shifted at all as the media landscape changes? I don't think you can just look at it that broadly. You need to look at it in a market by market basis, obviously. <clears throat> if you're in New York and, and you know a lot of the the MSG and Comcast base is in New Jersey and you know somewhat Connecticut. Um, it's not in Manhattan. I, I don't know what are these are people who watch Knicks and Rangers games, are they more likely than not to have sort of your highest speed broadband? Do you make up money there as well? Do they order more movies? So I don't know. I mean, I need to see more information, but it just can't be a broad question of 
who has the advantage? Is it the network? Is it the cable system, the cable provider? Because I think that's a market by market thing. So uh, we haven't seen the last of it. You mentioned Dish. They dropped the ATT Sportsnet, Root Sports, RSNs, NBC Universal, and YouTube. You know, signed an extension to to keep negotiating. Um, we're waiting to see what's going to happen with the Bally's RSNs. You know, um, formerly Sinclair. Uh, we're, we've been hearing about these for years. And as that cable bundle erodes, I think what what you can say is you're seeing the cable operators increasingly comfortable flexing. I mean, the Yankees were off for for almost a full season. Uh, Remember, the Dodgers were not seen on Time Warner Cable in their dispute. You're seeing the operators ever more comfortable with not delivering this programming and not losing enough customers where they're clamoring to get back to the table. That makes sense? That does make sense. No, it's a, it's a good answer. Um, and I think that is, uh, that's it for us. I know Scott, you wanted to give a shout out to, uh, to oh, another yeah, yeah, podcast. Yeah. Yes, yes, go. yes. I, thank you. I, I swear to you, Eben, I would have forgotten because, you know, a little under the weather, so I would have forgotten, but congratulations to our friends, uh, Andrew Marchand from the New York post and John Arand from the sports business journal. They are getting a sports media podcast. So this was not meant to trump their discussion because I'm sure theirs will be wonderful and they'll discuss all these issues much longer than we did. Uh, but give them a give them a follow, give them a subscribe. Those are two very smart guys in the sports business world. I know I'll be listening. And so we end on a uh, on a self promotion note. <laughs> I'll mention one more thing. Uh, every Friday, um, myself and various uh, other Sportico reporters, including Emily Karen and Asla Pellet, are are hosting Twitter Spaces. They're audio only, uh, kind of free forums. We're doing them on Fridays at t- three p.m. If anyone out there, listeners, have questions for us about things we talk about on this show, things they're reading about in the sports business world, things they're seeing on Sportico, uh, please join us again 3 p.m eastern on fridays we'll be answering whatever questions anybody out there has about the sports business world yeah only for the last one you did on friday i know it's late in the game but you were still talking and i submitted a question and it, i saw it register and y'all ignored it nobody oh, I, I did not see it on. you were you were yeah because you were talking about um sponsorship about something or other Okay. And I said, well, when are one, when are one of the three of you going to get off your duffs and actually sign a sponsorship, a name sponsor for, for the Twitter space? Let, let's go. Let's start selling. <laughs> but nobody gave him the opportunity, so I'll, I'll, I'll take it here. Coming he is soon. Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She's off for a few days. Enjoy that, Cora. But she does like to remind you that you can find the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. 